I, um, I said to Andy this morning, I've deliberately sort of prepared a slightly shorter message so that we won't go on too long. So I hopefully I'll keep to that. Um, my name is Aaron. If, if I don't know you, if you're a visitor, if it's one of your first times, I'm one of the elders here. Uh, not one of the elders mentioned in that song, um, but I am an elder of this church. Uh, and this morning, we're, as has been said a few times, we're celebrating uh, new lives being entrusted to, to parents. And so I wanted to speak a little bit into the topic of family discipleship. And this is kind of a, an introduction to this and something we'll look at perhaps next year in a bit more depth. If you've been around the church for a while, you'll know that we have, uh, we're blessed with lots of young families, uh, lots of young people who sort of have married and begun their own families. And so actually it's quite important that we do talk about these things, even if it isn't necessarily applicable to everyone uh, straight away. Actually, what I want to talk about this morning, I think there's a little twist that I want to put on it to say, actually it is applicable to everyone, but maybe not as immediately uh, as it will be for some. So I want to introduce this idea of family discipleship. Um, I've got three children. They're all fairly young. The oldest is six. So six, four, and Joseph is uh, seven, almost eight months. So I don't have a huge amount of practical application for some of these things. I've only got six years worth of experience. I know there's people in this room who've got, you know, children who are grown up and got their own children, and those children have children. So it's... It, I'm aware that I'm slightly younger than some of those people, but I think I've tried to be a student of good families and so a student of some bad ones as well to avoid mistakes. But I've, I've been a student of good families and I, I think I've tried to look at what things are present in families where the children have grown up and they've gone on to have their own faith or they've grown up and they've still got good relationship with their parents. Um, so I've tried to study what's, what's present in these families that's... that's help their children to get through. I think as Sue prayed there, up into Forge, I know that the youth group that I was part of, I'm the only one left. I'm the only one left. Something happens and we need to prepare our children so that they're able to, they're not dead, they're just not in church anymore. Um, <laughs> it was like Hunger Games. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> But we need to prepare our children, our young people. And, and I think we need to start, and I'm convinced in our family, that we need to start from when they're like very, very young so that it's ingrained in them. The other day, uh, it's half term, so I sort of had one of the mornings off this week. Uh, and Lara said to me, Daddy, we haven't prayed or read the Bible this morning. And she's four. And I say, oh, OK, that's, I've done something quite well. Megan probably has done something right there. Um, <laughs> She's asking that question. Why haven't we done that? So I want to talk a little bit about family discipleship and then put a twist on it so that it's applicable to everyone, whether we have children of our own or not. So to do that, we're going to look at Psalm 145, which will come up on the screen. If you've got a Bible, you may want to turn there. <coughs> I'm going to read it out. I'm going to read the whole psalm out, which is 21 verses. Oh, there you go. And then we're going to zoom in on a few. I don't know if that's particularly readable, um, but I'll read it out anyway. This is Psalm 145. I'm going to read the whole thing from the NIV version. I will exalt you, my God, the King. I will praise your name forever and ever. Every day I will praise you and I will extol your name forever and ever. 
Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. One generation commends your works to another. They tell of your mighty acts. They speak of your glorious splendor, the glorious splendor of your majesty. And I will meditate on your wonderful works. They tell of your awesome works and I will proclaim your great deeds. They will celebrate your abundant goodness and joyfully sing of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. All your works praise you, Lord. Your faithful people extol you. They tell of the glory of your kingdom and speak of your might so that all people may know of your mighty acts and your glorious and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures through all generations. The Lord is trustworthy in all he promises and faithful in all he does. The Lord upholds all who fall and lifts up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look up to you and you give them their food at the proper time. You open your hand and satisfy the desires of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and faithful in all he does. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desires of those who fear him. He hears their cry and saves them. The Lord watches over all who love him, but the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak in praise of the Lord. Let every creature praise his holy name forever and ever. I'm going to pray. Father, we thank you for the truth of your words. We thank you for the work that your son has done. We thank you for your mighty acts. And we pray you would continue to be with us by the Holy Spirit this morning. Holy Spirit, teach us, illuminate your word. Let us know what you want to say. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to look at this psalm and I want to pick out three markers that I think are present in this psalm and in every family that I have observed where I think I want my children to grow up like those children. Or they're doing that. They've done that or they're doing it. So these aren't the only things, but I think these are three markers which are definitely there. So I think these markers are you've got to know it for yourself. This is great. I didn't even need to click there. Fantastic. Uh, you've got to know it for yourself. You've got to pass on what you know and no more nukes. Okay, that will become uh, clearer later on. You've got to know it for yourself. Family discipleship begins with the parents' relationship with God. If you aren't walking with God yourself, you can't train others to do so. If you haven't experienced the life-giving grace of God, you can't share that grace with someone else. I don't want to sort of labour on this point too much because I think it's, hopefully it's fairly obvious. <coughs> but that psalm begins, Psalm 145, verses 1 to 3. Sorry, I'm clicking on, you, you click it. Yeah, I do it, okay. Have I turned it off? Three markers, okay. Here we go. This is how that psalm begins, Psalm 145, verses 1 to 3. I will exalt you, my God, the King. I will praise your name forever and ever. Every day I will praise you and extol your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. 
David, who's writing this psalm, he knows God. He knows God. He knows it for himself. And so he's qualified to then write things like, the Lord is gracious and compassionate. The Lord is great and no one can fathom his greatness because he's spent time thinking about the greatness of God. Ephesians 2 says we're dead and God has brought us to life. I don't know if you've ever had that situation where you've met someone and then almost immediately you, you're meant to introduce them to someone else that you already know and you've forgotten the person's name. You say, oh, hi, Sue, this is my friend that I've just met and you don't remember their name. It's awful, isn't it? It's awkward. I've got to a point in my life where I just go, I'm really sorry, I'm terrible with names, I've forgotten your name. Um, hmm? Again, again. <laughs> it's easily done. Have you ever had that scenario where it's someone that you know quite well and you've forgotten their name? And actually, it's probably, you know, you're sort of 18 months into the friendship now and it's a little bit awkward to go, you know, I know we're good friends and we've sort of spent time in each other's homes, but I don't know your name. You know, have you ever had that kind of scenario? It's tricky, isn't it? <laughs> Darling. <laughs> um, it's easy for me because I go, oh, you're right, mate. And just slip in, mate, buddy or pal or whatever. Ephesians 2 says that we were dead in our sins and God has brought us to life. If you've not been brought to life, how can you share that goodness, that grace? How can you share that? I don't know if you've ever seen a corpse try and do CPR on another corpse. It doesn't happen. So we need to know it for ourselves. We need to know God for ourselves. So that when we're trying to introduce our children to God, we know who we're introducing them to. How do we do that? We read the Bible, we pray, we spend time with others who are and have walked with God. We take responsibility for ourselves. That doesn't mean you have to do it all by yourself, but take responsibility for yourself. So I met with someone this week, they said, I'm really like rubbish at sticking to keeping to reading the Bible, but I know if someone asks me, I'll be a bit better at it. It's like, that's not a weakness. I mean, it is on one level it is, but it, it's a strength to know this is, this is going to be helpful to me. If someone asks me, I'll, I'll stick to it. If they don't, then I know I'll just sort of be a bit relaxed about it. Take responsibility for ourselves. Jesus spent a lot of time going off and praying and not doing what people expected him to do. He's in the middle of like, he's healed all the people in that town. Come on, let's go to the next town. Actually, I'm going to go and spend some time praying. I'm going to go and spend some time with the Father. To some, it seemed like he neglected important things in order to ensure that his relationship with the Father was strong. People say breakfast is the most important meal of the day. John Piper says, if you can eat breakfast, you can read your Bible. If you've got the time to eat breakfast, you've got time to read your Bible. What's more important to you? We need to know God for ourselves. Then we need to pass on what we know. It's no good just having all of this stuff for yourself. We need to pass on what we know. The history of God's people is that they forget. They forget God and they forget what he's done for them. 
Family discipleship requires an intentional effort. An intentional effort to remember and remind. Remember God and remind our children of him. Judges 2 verse 10 says this, after that whole generation, so the generation that had come out of um, Egypt, been through the desert, that generation died. The generation that went in and took the promised land, after that generation died, it says this, after that whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors, another generation grew up who neither knew the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. If we're honest, this is too easily true for us, especially when things are going well. We just, we forget. Oh, you know, I'm just going about my life. God's blessed me, wonderful. And we're just, we're just ticking along. We sort of sometimes pay a lip service. There's a line in the Lord's Prayer which <coughs> says, give us our daily bread. And it's a reference to Proverbs 30, which says this. Two things I ask of you, Lord. Do not refuse me before I die. Keep falsehood and lies from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, so give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? Or I may became, become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. So when you, if you ever pray the Lord's Prayer, when you pray, give me my daily bread, what you're saying is, whether you know it or not, you're saying, keep me from having too much so that I think, look at what I've done. I, I've, I've arrived. I've made it. I don't need God. I have earned this for myself. And you're praying, keep me from not having so little that I have to resort to stealing in order to feed myself. When we pray that, when you say that with those words, give me my daily bread. When things are going well or life is comfortable, it's easy for us to begin to think it's what we have achieved or what we have earned. It's of our own making. Oh, I've done this. The reality is this. Breathe in, breathe out. The only reason you can do that is because God has sustained you for another breath. What's meant to happen, instead of us forgetting and thinking that we've done it ourselves, is this. One generation commends your works to another. They tell of your mighty acts. They speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty. I will meditate on your wonderful works. They tell of your awesome works. I will proclaim your great deeds and they celebrate your abundant goodness and joyfully sing of your righteousness. One generation commends your works to another. Are you commending the work of God to your children, to your grandchildren? Read the Bible with your children, pray with them, talk to them about what God has done and is doing in your life. I think sometimes we can try and sort of insulate our kids from the difficulties of life or from the realities of life, that it's, it's actually unhelpful. Because they think, oh, well, suddenly I've got some problems and it's not helpful. I don't know how to cope with this. On the occasions, which are <laughs> numerous, uh, when I need to apologise to Megan, uh, or perhaps I've not sort of conducted myself in, in the best way, 
I'll, I'll often try and do that in front of our, our daughters. And I'll say, listen, I need to apologize to mum because your mum, because I, the way that I spoke was not kind there. That wasn't a kind way to speak. Well, that wasn't a, a sort of a helpful way to behave. So that they know that actually this is, this is what happens in, in family life. You should apologize to each other. And that's not, to, you know, I'm not saying we're having a blazing row and then I'm sort of doing that. But I'm just even just I'm slightly careless with how I've spoken. Actually, I need to apologize and you need to see me do this. Because when you grow up, I want you to look for someone who, when you're thinking you want to get married, who's going to do that? Who's going to be willing to apologize? This is, I want you to see, I, I want someone who's like that. I want someone who's quick. It's like a race to see who can forgive each other first. Ask and work through difficult questions together with your children. I read recently, I was like a, someone had posted this question about people who grew up in Christian homes and were still, had faith, still attending church. What was like the number one factor in, how, in why you stuck it out? And one of the top responses, it wasn't the, the, necessarily the top, um, was the parents' ability or willingness to allow difficult and big questions to be asked and talked through. I don't know what your experience was like if you grew up in a Christian home, but I know of some, some instances where it's like, as soon as there's like, well, how do we know it's even real? Oh, well, of course we know it's real. Like, and it's just shut down straight away. It's like, well, okay, let's, let's explore that question properly. Let's, let's, how do we know that we're right and you know, everyone else is wrong? Well, let's, let's really look into that together as a family. Let's learn together as a family rather than just trying to shut that down straight away and think, oh, no, we can't possibly entertain any doubt. Let's be, let's be confident in these things. Confident that the contagion of the gospel is stronger than the contagion of the world. We need to pass on what we know. <coughs> know it for ourselves. Pass on what we know and no more nukes. No nukes. We'll go back, sorry. That screen is lagging. Okay, there you go. That's the problem. I did notice that in the worship, actually. The success and quality of your family discipleship will benefit greatly from inviting people who aren't part of your physical or biological family into your home. Psalm 145 says this. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all his made, on all he has made. All your works praise you, Lord. Your faithful people extol you. They tell of the glory of your kingdom and speak of your might, so that all may know of your mighty acts and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your faithful people, the people of God. No family is an island. You might have heard no man is an island. No family is an island. No more nukes. I, I'm saying the nuclear family, that's like a, such a weird concept if you look in the stretch of history. The idea that it's the two parents and the 2.4 children and the dog, that's, that's the ideal. That's what family is. That's not what family is. 
you, I mean, we know this, don't we? we like, it's in us that actually there's grandparents and there's aunties and uncles potentially. No more nukes. No, no more nuclear family. Invite people in. So if you're privileged to have grandparents around for your children, invite them in. Such a blessing. I say to my mother-in-law, um, I say, all, all the in-law jokes are wrong. They're all wrong. That's my sort of way of uh, honouring her and my sort of father-in-law as well. Like, I, I genuinely love my in-laws. Like, I enjoy spending time with them. Um, and they're so good for my daughters and my son. Not sure about the son yet, but we'll see. Give it a bit of time. <laughs> see how it pans out. But aside from your biological family, bring in people who are part of your spiritual family. A lot of people move churches because their children don't have peers. don't know if you know, that's quite a common reason. Um, I think it's far more important for me, uh, this is what I value more than my children having peers, and I love that they have peers, I think it's great, is people who are older that they can look up to. So I know when I was a kid, I looked up to Andy Smith which probably makes him feel old. I was going to show a picture which <laughs> made him feel really old, but I won't. Um, but I, Andy was the cool guy. You know, all the gadgets, into the music, you know, whatever. I can remember going around and, like, you know, playing on a big screen for the, um, at the youth group. He'd sort of set up a big screen and we played a, a football tournament on it and stuff. You know, it was, wasn't FIFA then, it was something else. Sensible soccer, that's the one. Um, <coughs> Which now, yeah, um, that makes me feel old. Uh, but for me, I think I want my children to be like looking up and going, I want to be like them. So, I mean, that's why I showed this picture. I'm not naming names, but um, this, is, this is a couple of years ago now. It was this 20, I think this was 2015. But a, a, a young lady had gone to a Christian conference, a women's conference, and she brought back a T-shirt for Millie which I think it was like the idea was like to be brave and like be bold and confident and stuff. So it's like born brave, brave women run in my family. I think, man, I love it. I love that there's someone who actually uh, my daughter loves and my daughter's like, oh, I want to, uh, you know, I, I love this person. I want to spend time with them. But actually they're saying, I'm calling this out in this child. I'm saying, I, I want to I encourage her and help her to grow in her faith. It's important to have that. Um, bring your family among the people, among the faithful people of God. I'm delighted that we have a church that has faithful women for my daughters to look up to and men of God for my son to look up to. It's the nature of children to look up to older people. When my girls are playing, they're, they're four and six and they'll go, like in this game, pretend I'm seven and you're five. It's like they want to be older. <laughs> it's important. So this is a challenge. If you're, this is where it applies to everyone. If, you're, if you don't have a family of your own, you're still of vital importance to family discipleship. And if you do, it's important that sort of families... Uh, rub up against each other because you sort of knock each other's bad habits off. You pick up tips and all that sort of stuff. 
Bring, the, bring your family among the faithful people of God and bring the faithful people of God among your family. It's not just enough for it to be Sunday mornings. There's someone you know that your kids admire or look up to and you know they're a faithful follower of Jesus. Bring them into your home for a meal or to just spend time. What's true is that it's important. Everyone has a role to play in family discipleship, even if you have your own family or not, physically. What else is true is that what's true of physical families is true of the spiritual family and of spiritual families. So maybe you don't have your own physical family. You don't have children of your own. Maybe you never intend to. Maybe you really want to and you're waiting on God to sort of open up the avenues for that to happen. Whatever the case may be, we're all part of a spiritual family. We should all be sharing the gospel and taking care of those who are spiritual infants. We were on, in the middle of a series as a church, we're just having a pause this week, called Life on Mission, about sharing the gospel. The sort of the next step of, once you've shared the gospel, I talked a little bit to it last week, was that actually you then have these spiritual babies that need to be looked after. And we need to be good at doing that. We need to be good at discipling them. And so these principles of knowing it for yourself, we have to know God for ourselves. So that when someone responds to the gospel and they start asking the big questions, we know who we're introducing them to. We can pass on what we know. I've wrestled with that myself. It's a, it's a massive issue. You need to get through on it. Let's sit together and talk about it. Not nuclear, not going, okay, I've shared the gospel with this person. They're my little project now. No, don't you get close. This is my friend. I, I, I introduced them to Jesus. Actually, no, it's important. I don't know if you're interested in this sort of stuff. There's loads of church statistics. Some of them are horrific and they, you know, not helpful. Others are quite interesting. So when someone joins a church, if they don't make three key friendships within a year, they leave, generally speaking. Three important friendships. Now, that's not the only reason people leave. But statistically, people say, why did you leave that church? Oh, you're leaving the church. Why did you leave? I didn't make, I, you know, I had my friend that introduced me to the church. But after that, no one, I, no one really bothered to spend time with me. Um, it, it's important that we are a family. We're introducing people, bringing people into explore group context, small group context. <coughs> So whether you have a physical family or you think, actually, I, I, I know I, I, we all should be, but I, I've got spiritual children that I'm going to be having. These markers are important. We need to know it for ourselves. We need to keep our relationship with God strong. We need to pass on what we know. We need to tell of the good deeds, the wonderful works of God. And we need to bring people into the family environment, into small group contexts, into Sunday mornings. We need to share of the greatest work that was done. One generation commends your works to another. The reality is we're all the another generation. One generation, the apostles commended the works of God, what Jesus did on the cross, that he died for our sins and that he was raised to life. 
they commended that to the next generation of spiritual believers who commended it to the next generation. And 2,000 years later, we're in an academy, I say school, a school hall in Watford because one generation commended the works of God to another. You can commend the works of God to the next generation. The greatest work that was ever done was Jesus dying on the cross for our sin. I'm going to pray for us and then we're going to, uh, there's an opportunity to be prayed for at the back. If, you, if there's something that's come up this morning uh, and you think I want to be prayed for, then you can do that at the back. But I'm going to pray for all of us uh, and then we're going to have lunch together. So because there's lunch, there's no need to rush off. If you do want to be prayed for, there's plenty of time. Uh, we're not in any hurry. Father, I thank you for your gift of grace of families that you could have produced when you made humanity. You could have just made a person who then sort of grows up and divides and then divides and then divides. But actually you created family, you created men and women and they were to come together to produce life and create families. I thank you for that gift, Lord. I pray that we would be a church that does family well, that does biological family well, but, and does spiritual family well, that we wouldn't seek to be uh, nuclear in our thinking, that we wouldn't be like, okay, we're going to just keep to ourselves, but actually we would invite others in. We would recognise that the family of God, in the family of God, our children have many uncles and aunties. Many grandparents. I pray that we would know you well for ourselves. I pray that we, would, we wouldn't hoard that knowledge, but we would pass it on to others. That we would see a generation rising up to serve you and to see your kingdom extended. Your glorious splendor-filled kingdom. So I pray you would give us vision to see that, that we would know that there's a spiritual generation that needs to be reached and that there's a physical generation that needs to be reached. In Jesus' name, I pray these things. Amen. <laughs>